Alright, here we go. My name is Todd Adams. And this is Kathy Adams. Welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. Um, if you're new to Zen Parenting Radio, this is uh, a podcast that we do twice a week. And today we have a special guest and his name is John O'Sullivan. And he's going to talk to us a lot about sports and kids and things like that. And um, competition uh, and empowerment. We uh, just talked about all these words. That's right. So among other things. And um, so Zen Parenting Radio, it's a uh, discussion between a spiritual and emotional mom and a logical and practical dad. We have three daughters, ages 11, 10, and 7. And our goal is to give you the resources to become a better parent, but more importantly, to become a better you. And always remember our motto. And what's that, sweetie? The best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. Well done. Nice job. Yes, thank you. Thank you. You get an applause for that. Thank you. So John O'Sullivan's here, and uh, John started the Changing the Game Project in 2012 after two decades as a soccer player and coach on the youth, high school, college, and professional level. He brings to the table a wealth of practical hands-on knowledge garnered through years of working with players and their families on sports-specific development, fitness, and nutrition, college recruiting, and most importantly, nurturing positive, healthy, and supportive relationships between parents and their young athletes. And that's why we wanted to have him on. Absolutely. That He's last wonderful. part. Uh, he has compiled much of this information in his number one best-selling book, Changing the Game, The Parent's Guide to Raising Happy, High-Performing Athletes and Giving Youth Back to Our Kids. Uh, John received his BA in History from Fordham University and his master's in history from the University of Vermont. He resides in beautiful Bend, Oregon with his wife, Dr. Lauren O'Sullivan, and two wonderful children, Maggie Shea and Tiernan. So, John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank appreciate you, it. John. No problem. So, in preparation, got to be honest, let's come clean. We listened to um, or we watched uh, John's TED Talk um, this morning. This morning on the way to yoga. I had to get his message back in my head because I know his <laughs> message. So, I want to tell you this, John. I we had been using your words before we even knew they were your words. Right. And I think I stole them too. I'm a coach. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> right. Well, we would say we had a podcast a long time ago. I don't even know what number it is. We didn't prepare this, but we um where we said, you know, the best thing you can say to your kid is, which is your line. I love watching you play. I, I love, love watching you. Now, is that your line? No, I I mean, can it isn't that in the Bible? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's yeah, I've had some people uh, claim that that was, you know, that that idea is theirs. But I've met, you know, I always give credit that I learned it from a man named Bruce Brown, yeah. um, whom I, I love and is a great mentor and friend of mine. And, um, but I think if you go to any psychologist or, you know, anyone who works with sports and say, you know, what can you tell your kids? They would all say that mm-hmm. regardless of whether they heard of me or Bruce or anyone else. So you know, telling your kids that you love them is a very logical and it's been around forever. <laughs> and yet it's so interesting when even when I heard it, I thought that is what's the word that's profound, you know, simple, like, simple. And, and so and I guess a question I'd have for you is, do you get pushback on that? Do people say that can't be what I, you kind of talk about that in your TED talk a little bit. But do people, you know, do people say that can't really be what I'm supposed to say to my kid? Well, the, the line that I always sort of toe is this idea of can you love your kids? Can sports be enjoyable? And can it also be competitive? And I think that the biggest mistake is this misconception that enjoyment and competitive sports or play and competitive sports have nothing to do with each other and they have everything to do with each other. And so the idea for a parent to separate your love of your child, um, 
from their sports performance, from whether their team won or lost, yeah. is the most important thing you can do because that allows the experience to belong to them. Mm. And out of that comes intrinsic motivation to do better and out of that comes enjoyment. And without those things, kids aren't going to play. They're not going to keep playing. Talent doesn't matter if they don't like it. Absolutely. And so um, so just as a parent, you know, this doesn't mean every single time they step off the field and if they've totally, you know, not put in a great effort, you have to pretend it was a great effort. But all I'm saying is that your demeanor has to separate sports from your unconditional love of your child. And that's how you raise competitive athletes. Absolutely. Well, what's interesting, and then the other side to this, is that there are examples of those parents who pushed and pushed and ended up becoming NFL players or major league baseball did. players yeah. or whatever. Yeah, their children did. And there's a lot of parents that will point the finger at that example, say, see, that's what you need to do. What do you? What's your response to that? And for every Tiger Woods or Andre Agassi or whatever, there's tens of thousands, probably millions of kids who didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the saddest things to see in sports is you turn on the Olympics and there's this amazing athlete on the podium getting a medal and there is mom crying in the stands like, oh, and her dad's not here because he's got a restraining order against him. You know, <laughs> like, you know that's – I mean what – sports outcome could be worth losing your relationship with your child mm. and and a far more productive path and a far more light path that's more likely to produce high performing athletes is ones where you are their supporter and that you're supporting their goals and you're helping them achieve their goals not not chasing your own goals your through own your dreams. kids. Yeah. Well, and I love the examples you gave because look at what happened Tiger Woods imploded. Andre Agassi, I mean, I'm not talking about their talent. I'm talking about internally. Andre Agassi wrote a book where he talked about how he imploded. Well, his first three words of his book are, I hate tennis. Exactly. (laughs) So there's someone who got all the fame, all the money, all the notoriety and hates hates the sport. Now, Tiger Woods and Andre Agassi and the Williams sisters also have, let's face it, they have freak genetics. I mean, you know, the idea that, well, you can buy your way or just practice your way you know, your body is your destiny. Yeah. And so that's what my yoga teacher tells me when I can't touch my toes. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, you know, I think that it's such an important thing to realize that those the, – the elite, elite, elite athletes, athletically, genetically, the, there's a baseline there right. that, um, you know, it's unlikely if you're, you know, dad's five, six and mom's five feet tall that your kids are going to play in the NBA. Yeah. No matter how much they love it, no matter how much they practice, it's probably not going to happen mm-hmm. just because of the physical traits needed to play. doesn't mean they can't love and enjoy basketball. But um, so, you know, Tiger Woods probably would have been good at a lot of things. Yeah. Andre Agassi would have been good at a lot of things. And, and really what we've lost sight of is that a lot of these top professional athletes were very good at lots of sports growing up yeah. and then decided, you know, Roger Federer was an unbelievable great soccer player, Steve Nash was a great soccer player and started playing basketball at 13. Mm-hmm. So they, they find a sport that they become passionate about and chase after it later. But growing up, they're just great athletes doing lots of stuff. Right. It wasn't like their parents had them in a class when they were two and then kept them on the traveling team and then made sure they only focused on that. Because like you said, uh, one of the things that you talk about is, um, you know, sometimes we our kids try a sport, they love it, they're good at it, and then they're like, okay, I'm ready to try something else. And the coach says... No, yeah, you have no, to stick you around. You got to stick around, and it's such a such a destructive thing. At and I'm not saying at 
in high school or even in middle school, if a child wants to pursue one sport and it's, it's their pursuit that they can't do that, that's, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But when you're telling seven-year-olds that you have to, if you want to be part of this, you have to dedicate 10 months a year and you can't do anything else. Does that happen a lot? I think it does. I think it does. And it, it's sad. And, and then what happens is parents who want their kids to do multiple sports and kids who want to do multiple sports, they become multi-sport specialists, which means they go straight from soccer practice to basketball practice yeah. or they swim before school and do that. And so now you're losing time for school. Now you're losing time for friends. Now you're losing time for your family. That's and right. and it just drives families crazy. Um, we just did a podcast recently on a movie called Whiplash. Did you see Whiplash? I have not. Okay. John, you, you know, this, and I'm, and I'm saying I just saw it too. So okay. it's not like, you know, you're behind. I just watched it on iTunes. It just came out. But the, the premise of the movie is there's a teacher that's really harsh and cruel and uses fear to teach. Mm-hmm. And what ends up, you know, I'm not really ruining anything here because this is discussed in the media, but what ends up happening at the end is the kid is good. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people had asked me to watch that movie just just because they're like, see, it's basically what we talked about, you know, five minutes ago that this guy pushed him. He was cruel to him. He slapped him. He he talked negative to him. He ripped him apart about his family history. He was awful. But the kid became good. And so people point to that and say, see. And, but And then we played the clip in the movie yeah. where he's at his dinner table and the kid has no friends. I mean, he's he is a one dimensional human being. He is not a whole person. He's not a whole person. And. I think us parents um, sometimes get a little crazy with a certain goal in mind, and it's it, it's at at what expense does that goal happen? I think that's the question that we parents have to ask ourselves. Well, I mean, you can also successfully pull your tooth with a shot of whiskey. Um, <laughs> it doesn't mean it's the best way to do it, exactly. you know. And yes. and and that's the thing is, you can certainly coach or teach from a place of fear and intimidation, but in terms of long term getting the most out of the most people mm-hmm. you know the the counter to that is so are you saying that this is the only way that right. works could you not have gotten that same result by pushing that child positively mm-hmm. yes um by becoming a, a trusted mentor and a friend versus someone that they're scared of because yes you can get that and i'm not saying that that doesn't happen right. and i'm also this is not about that coaches or, or teachers shouldn't push people or get them out of their comfort zone. They should. That's their job. But there's ways to do that in a way that the kids respect you for doing it. Now, they don't have to love you while you're doing it. But if you care about them genuinely, genuinely as a person first, um, then then you can push them and you can do that. But so many coaches come from a place of just fear yeah. without establishing that relationship first. And then, you know, a lot of kids walk away and, and break down. They say, oh, they're just not tough enough. And it's like, well, would you want your boss to treat you that way? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, that's the thing is these these coaches, maybe they were coached this way or we can we can broaden this. Really, your message is we find your message to kind of make sense for parenting, to make sense for. Yeah, it's not about kind of, sports. The workplace. Yeah. It's about how do you treat people? It's almost metaphorical for how you live a life. But it's these these coaches or parents are it, they're unwilling to look at how they were affected by their experience and they're just regurgitating and repeating their experience or maybe heightening it mm-hmm. who knows yeah um is that what you find uh, definitely i mean i always you know i do workshops for coaches and i ask them to list uh, the five qualities of the best coach they ever had and no one ever lists 
you know, demeaned and dehumanized me, you know, no, no one ever does that. But then it's like, well, what does your coaching look like those five things? And I, I, you know, I think a lot of coaches today are sadly put under way too much pressure Mm. to win instead of develop players, um, to only play the kids you're going to help them win versus let everyone play. And, And again, this is not about not being competitive. I mean, I was a you know, I was a college athlete. I was a professional athlete. Yeah. I was a Division One college coach. All I've done is is work with competitive athletes, but to to scare them or to make kids sit on the bench and never get in because you're chasing after some trophy at nine years old, that doesn't make kids competitive. The, that makes them bitter. It makes them quit. And yeah. so this is what we have to sort of shift this paradigm in, in sports of what well, everything that has become conventional wisdom about this is how you drive them to to be great is so outcome focused yeah. that we've lost the process of of you know excellence focused you know getting it better every day leaving a place for failure leaving a place for creativity and mistakes one of the best things in your ted talk uh that i noticed is that i don't know i i, I get mad at parents very easily <laughs> todd puts on his judgment hat i judge i love to judge <laughs> and i we've all seen them and maybe i've been this this soccer dad at one point or another but i'm pretty low-key dad really but uh, the fact that they in your ted talk you're like you know these parents act as if they're in the game seven of the nba finals (laughs) or game seven of the world series as if it's so important and my question is why does that happen what is that what is that um you know i think it's a lot of things you know number one I, i think institutionally in every sport, we have done a very poor job educating parents on how to help. Mm-hmm. We're very good at saying, don't do this, don't do that, sign this you know, worthless code of conduct that we're not going to hold you accountable for. And, and parents just want to help. Mm-hmm. And they're the most influential people in a kid's life, so why not teach them how to help? Mm-hmm. So that's what we do at the Change the Game Project is – we go in and say, here's how you can help your kids while still letting your coach coach and letting the experience belong to your kids. So, you know, then they go to the games and they feel all this pressure. You know, I, I think a lot of you sports, the overwhelming emotion is fear. Yeah, It's fear that if I don't do this, my kid's falling behind. My mm-hmm. child is going to not make it. And now I'm a bad parent because I didn't do this for my kid. And instead of saying, well, actually, my child's the one who has to want to make it themselves. And so then we go to the game and we see our kids not playing well. And we look at that as like, this is a very poor reflection of my DNA. Totally. That's it. That's it. That's what I think, too. And then we get upset and and we want to fix it. Yeah. Instead of just saying, no, this is actually how people learn and it's okay. And, you know, we don't develop on a straight trajectory. We go up and down and, you know, some is good and some is bad. But, you know, failure is a part of learning. And so if we would just take that deep breath and say, my kids are supposed to fail, they're supposed to mess up. And as long as that failure is not, you know, so horrific that they can learn from it then they're going to be better for this. But if we just protect our kids from failure over and over and over, if we pluck them out of every difficult situation, if we, I like the phrase, the the lawnmower parent who just mows down all the obstacles, right? If we just mow down all the obstacles, they don't learn anything. So 
good, tough coaches and tough teachers are good things, not bad things. They Not only do they not learn anything, but they're, even the parent doesn't learn anything about themselves because something we talk about on the show a lot is how your children are really a wonderful mirror for you, right? You know, they, they kind of show you all the parts of yourself that you may not have fully evolved or realized or recognized about yourself. And standing at a soccer game or at a basketball game or wherever and watching your kid play and watching them either, quote unquote, fail or not do as well as maybe the rest of the kids, there's a big self-awareness piece there about what's most important to me right now. What do I value the most? Is it that I want my kid to be that extension of me or is it that I want to be the parent I want to be and support my kid in in understanding their value and worth? And that takes a lot of self-awareness. That takes some mindfulness. That takes some ability to take a deep breath. You know, it's it's similar to, even though it's not exactly the same, when your kid has a tantrum in Target. You know, people always say, well, that just can't happen. I can't allow that to happen. You know, I got to stop them. And actually, it's got nothing to do with you. You know, your child is having a tantrum in Target, and your job is to support them in getting through it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just find this to be such a reflection of us. You know, obviously, it's about how to make help our kids succeed in in the you know definition of success, being a whole person. But also, it's a good reminder for us to look at our own behavior. Yeah, I, th- I think so. And there was a study out of Europe, and I I need to find it again. I read it a long time ago. It's the only one of its kind where they actually looked at parental behavior and goals and aspirations for their kids and they found that the parents who felt like they had not achieved everything they should have in life were the ones who were acting out more or the ones who were over the top with their kids and the ones who were very comfortable with what they had achieved, especially athletically, Mm -hmm. the ones who were professional players, the ones who were Olympic athletes said – I'm going to let this experience belong to my kids because I know how hard it was to get where I got. Mm. And I don't really expect my kids to do that. But if they want to, it's got to be because they want to, not because I want them to. And so there was in this one study this correlation between unfulfilled parental dreams and over-the-top parenting. Oh, that's amazing. I I so – think that that is right on Mm -hmm. and you know it's it's challenging to watch but anyway so um i love giving our listeners tips resources things that they can do obviously resources we're going to talk about your book at the end of the show but um the one thing that is very powerful that we already talked about is i love watching you play another tip which i pulled out from your ted talk is the car ride home after a sporting event with your kid can Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about that sure and and again i give great credit to my friend bruce brown who has done this research and i think some other organizations have done similar research now, but what they've looked at is they've asked kids, what is your worst memory of sports? And the number one answer is the ride home after the game with mom and dad, Mm -hmm. Um, because this is this time when they're physically and emotionally exhausted. Mm -hmm. And yet we've got them locked in the car and we're stuck in traffic and we've got guaranteed FaceTime and we choose this to be the teachable moment. And what kids tell us a lot is that this is the least teachable moment. Mm -hmm. So what I advise people to do is, is just ask your kids, let them bring it up. If they want to bring up the game after talk about it, when they put it to rest, put it to rest. But if you are the one who are always bringing it up and you're using this opportunity to critique them and criticize the coach and, you know, you know, why did, you know, why did Kathy get to, you know, play center forward? She's, she's, you know, you should be playing up there. It becomes really destructive. Hmm. And so 
unless your kids do something that you wouldn't allow at home if they start a fight or spit on someone or whatever just let that time belong to them there's plenty of other teachable moments but the car ride's not really a great one do you have any personal examples of how you didn't follow your own advice <laughs> the karate yes. chap story yes yes exactly <laughs> i i did this with my with my son um when he started playing soccer and you know, so here I am, the the pro player and the college coach coaching five-year-olds, and <laughs> we walk out on the field and it's for his first game, and he just turns and goes, Dad, I don't want to play, and he walks off. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. But when he did it the second week, I was totally embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are people thinking of me? What's wrong with my kid? And he's fine. He found a lizard or a cricket or something. He's, like, <laughs> totally happy. I love it. Um, yeah, so we get in the car after the game, and I was going to say something to him, and I started saying something. My wife karate chopped me. She's like, really? Didn't you just write a whole book about this stuff? Oh, that's and great. and uh, she was right, and I said nothing, and he played the next week, and he played ever since. So, Well, and that's an example. I mean, you've dedicated your life towards this message, and it's easy. I, I should probably give parents a break. It's so easy to get caught up, isn't it? Is. it? Totally, and, and especially that. I mean, I think it's one of the hardest things because we strive for FaceTime with our kids and there it is. They are locked. They are not going anywhere. And we think we got them. And, and what the kids are telling us is please not now. And so, um, this is, this is our, this is our challenge. And I think, you know, 99.9% of parents, they don't do things out of spite. They do things out of love. Absolutely. Their intention is good. Their intention is, is great. And and my friend Dan Safferstein's a psychologist in Ann Arbor, and he says, he says uh, we all love our kids. Sometimes we just don't love them in helpful ways. That's <laughs> right. So um, that's what I think this is hmm. a perfect example of. And you know what? I relate to, you know, the sporting, you know, getting them in the car and then wanting to talk to them about the game. And I always tell parents it's the exact same when you pick them up from school, that obviously there's a natural like, you know, you know, hi, how are you? How was your day? But then there's something very powerful in being quiet Mm -hmm. because it's the same kind of decompression after a day of school to have your mom or dad or who's ever picking up say, how was that test? How'd you do? How was your friend? Did this happen? You are so wiped already. And what's really great is um, what I hope that my kids are getting. And I don't always do this perfectly because I'm a talker, but is that downtime and quiet time not only is good for you but it's safe with me mm-hmm. meaning like we don't have to talk and we're still together see a lot of times we feel like we have to blah 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 blah, and that's the way we're connecting right. connection can come through quiet too yeah we have to fill fill that space yeah it's it's such a it's so true and yeah. i think that um another piece of advice i heard someone describe recently and i think it's very very powerful is we're so caught up in everything our kids are doing these days because we're driving them to four different sporting events and all this extracurricular stuff and all this sort of crazy lives that they lead that um, many parents, what they realize, if, if you sit back and realize what is most of your conversation and your relationship with your kids based around, 90% of it is talking about sports yeah. or school. Well, guess what? Sports might be over in a couple of years. Hmm. Do you have a relationship with your son or your daughter that has nothing to do with sports? Amazing. Because if 90% of your conversation is sports, what are you man, you're about? in trouble. Yeah. You're in trouble. There's nothing, there's no common connection anymore. And I, I know when I heard that, I mean, that hit me like a ton of bricks too. Like really to take the time to say, what are we talking about? What are my kids' interests that, you know, I might, 
I couldn't care less about, but I better be interested right. in those because they care about mm-hmm. those, those sort of things and making the time to, you know, go fly fishing and walk around the river with my son and roll over rocks and find bugs yeah. and talk about bugs. Right. <laughs> well, I, I never even thought about that, but you're right. If, if and when the kids, cause what, what's the stat you said in uh, the Ted talk as far as how many kids quit by a certain age? Yeah, It's about three out of four by 13. Wow. Which is crazy, and I just, I, I've never even thought about it that way, but if and when sports goes away and you've based your entire relationship on talking about soccer, football, or baseball, and that goes away, and even like from a father-son thing, like I, I just think that that's it's such a cornerstone of a relationship, and if and when that goes away, you need to come up with something else to come up with, and it's just not an easy thing. Well, there's a natural way. Like my my oldest daughter is playing viola, and to our to Todd and my surprise, she really loves it. Like it was one of those things where oh, it's time to pick an instrument. You don't know if it's going to stick or not, and we we have nothing to do you with just viola. Hope it fits in the back of your car. Exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm like, okay, the rental fee is what. Um, so she's playing it, and she really loves it. And yesterday we did something where we got something for her viola, and she was so excited, and it was so fun to say similar to I like to see you play it's so fun to watch you enjoy something and then at the back of my head I had that moment of okay and you know that's all I'm going to say because she may be done with viola in a year or two and whatever she picks up next I want to be able to say it's so fun to see you enjoy art class or it's so fun to see you enjoy it maybe she'll choose she's in sports you know in in the fall And, and instead of being focused on the thing we're focused on them and their enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or the fact that, I mean, when you think, you know, really aside from American football, yeah. every sport that kids play is really a lifelong sport. I mean, you can play hockey or soccer or basketball into your 50s or, or 60s maybe. Yeah. yeah. So when we treat 11-year-olds like, oh, you're not cutting it right now, you're, you're out. <laughs> oh, my so God, it's like they crazy. got 40 years left to play that game. And uh, my friend this morning we had breakfast with, he said, you know, we all end up in the beer league eventually. Yes, right. <laughs> totally. So, uh, you know, so it's like when we treat kids who maybe don't have that passion for soccer or maybe the ability that we got to get rid of them instead of saying, well, how can I nurture a fan of the game and someone who will keep playing this mm-hmm. for 40 more years because they love it, that this is where I think we lose huge opportunities. Well, it's funny because I've dabbled in soccer coaching, even though I never played it as a young person. I'm, I use it as a vehicle to connect with my daughters. But uh, what I learned in all the books is you just got to make the practice as fun as you can. And mm-hmm. I'm sure as you get older, it becomes a little more challenging to keep it fun. I don't know. Is it challenging to keep a 15-year-old soccer practice fun? I, uh, I I don't think so. Okay. Um, or even a Division One college, you know, how yeah, do you keep it fun? It's supposed to be fun. Now, I think players at that level start to understand that there are things that you're going to be asked to do that might not be your favorite thing mm-hmm. to do, yeah. but that you will do them for the good of the team and the good of your development. Mm-hmm. But But that doesn't mean that you can't create practice sessions and do activities within your practice that – the players don't like you know I, I love the analogy i just wrote a blog on on what sports can learn from video games and when you think about right now i think the stats are for teenage boys they play an average of 17 hours of video yeah. games a week i mean think about that what if your kid played 17 hours of sports they'd be a pretty good athlete wow. yeah and so what the video games do that sports doesn't right when kids you know play video games they're in control they're with their friends, either 
on the couch or online. Um, there's no parent standing behind them, micromanaging every decision they make or every time they get blown up. Um, and the video game makers incessantly ask the kids, how can we make this better for you? Yeah. Now, does that sound like sports? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> no. It's about the adults. Yeah. Yes. We, you know, we split them away from their kids, their friends as soon as possible to put them on elite teams. Yeah. And we don't care about their enjoyment. And we harp on every mistake they make. And we never ask them, how can we make this better for you? Yeah. So that's why they play 17 hours of video games and not sports. We become so <laughs> ego motivated behind yeah. it. And like you said, the adults create it. You said when, when we met in LA, John, you said something to me that I laughed about and I've shared since. And I think we were talking about, you know, again, about motivating kids and does yelling at them on the sidelines motivate them. And you said something to me about math class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, you, you don't, you don't feel compelled to go to the math test and yell at your kid to carry the one. Right? <laughs> like we, we've, we've, we've separated that mentally that that would not be helpful. And right. not only would it be distracting for my kid, but it would be distracting for all the other kids in the class. Yet we yeah. show up at the sports game and, you know, shoot, shoot, pass, kick, you know, yeah. we're, you know why why all of a sudden do we think that they can just tune that out and then when something doesn't go the, you know the team's way or our child's way and we go oh and we're so disappointed imagine what a child well i can't imagine you know we've all had the experiences imagine what a child feels in that moment the depletion of i just disappointed the person i love the most in the world yeah and my coach and, and my and, coach and, yeah. and my friend's parents as well are angry at me too <laughs> i mean like where where else do we you know where else do we do that like mm-hmm. when you don't finish your dinner like you didn't eat your steak <laughs> <laughs> My favorite Saturday, and this probably is all across the country, country but ASO has Silent Saturdays. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning, I'm like, oh, it's kind of stupid. I want to cheer and coach from the sidelines. And I have completely come full circle on that and think that – and for those of you who don't know is – that the parents or coaches are not allowed to talk to the kids on the field. As they play. And I just adore that. I just love that. I don't know who came up with it, but it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and I think the the – it's a great thing because here it is. It opens your eyes. And most people are like you. They go, this is dumb. You know, my kid needs me yeah. to cheer. <laughs> and then they show up and they realize that actually they don't. Yes. Um, but what I, think, what I think gets lost in that is what an incredible opportunity then to step in from an educational standpoint and teach parents why yeah. we did that. And how they can be differently going forward because you've got their eyes open. Yeah. But we don't. We do Silent Saturday and then next Sunday is a disaster. Back to it. It's back totally. to the thing. That's and so, so true. this is where I think we 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 turn this into a gimmick mm-hmm. instead of a, Teachable a paradigm moment. shifting event yeah. that 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 changes it. Now in Vancouver, BC, they just had um a hockey league that just banned all the parents because they were losing all their referees and all the parents were, you know, they're fighting in the stands and everything. And for me, I thought this was a great thing because I truly believe that I'm going to just make up a number. Ninety-five percent of parents are fantastic. It's probably higher. Yeah. And it's the five percent who incessantly yell at referees, who harass their own kid, who harass the opposing kids, who, you know, start fights with opposing parents that ruin it for everyone. Yeah. And yet – we let them continue to do that. Yeah. And so I look at this thing in Vancouver and say, what a great thing. Maybe the 95% will say, 
hey, you know what? Mr. Smith, I want to watch my kid play. Yeah. And you are preventing that right now. And so either you stop mm-hmm. or leave. Mm-hmm. But either way, I want to be there. And we need the 95% speak to, up. Speak to, up. To, to take back sports. And mm-hmm. that's what that's the problem now is that there's too many, let's call it too many good people who do nothing. And so we, we let the, the, the 5% ruin it for everyone. Yeah. And, There's a quote. Yeah. What, do you remember the quote? Like the worst thing in the world is for good people to do nothing. Yeah. yeah. The indifference is yeah. what kills us. Yeah. It's the, or if it's not indifference, it's just the, you know, they may not feel indifferent, but they act indifferent. They act and indifferent. so, yeah. you know, it's being able to, and that's a hard thing to ask someone, you know, like I'm just thinking to myself, if I was at a game, what I always kind of focus on and try and meditate on is just role model, just yeah. role model and and you know obviously we you know get our voice heard by doing the show and trying to you know talk to people about these things and obviously learning from you um but it's tough because some of the like you said some of those people who are the five percent they can be scary very scary and this is why it can't just be one parent standing up on the sideline it has to come not only from the group on the sideline but from the organization to say you know from a board level to an administration level to every coach, you know, this is not how we do things here mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. And if you can't get on board with that, we have to be willing to accept that we might lose players and we might even lose very good ones mm-hmm. in order to do things right. And and there's this great fear among organizations of, oh, I don't want to be the first one to do that because, you know, my business, the doors of my business might be shut down in a year. And, and yet I think, I truly believe that that's the type of environment that parents would rather be in. I yeah. mean, would you rather when I, when I talk to parents about um, what was what advice you wish you could give yourself ten years ago when your kids started sports versus now when they're going off to college? They they always say number one, it goes by really quickly, <laughs> and number two, I wish I knew what would be important and the things that my kids remember is important. It's not that we won the, you know, 10-year-old super-duper elite cup. They remember the fun car ride. They Mm. remember a hotel room. Mm -hmm. They remember (laughs) a funny team restaurant when, uh, you know, they played the joke on their coach for his birthday or whatever. Mm -hmm. That's what kids remember. And then they also, you know, what parents say is, you know, I also remember the, the great role models that I surrounded my kids with. But I also remember some of the bad ones and wish that I hadn't done that Hmm. Um, because not every kid's going to be a college athlete or even a high school athlete, but every kid's going to grow up and need to get a job and need to you know work with others and and needs that education of how to be a good quality person. And sports can sports can be that, but so oftentimes we ignore that part of the education because well, hey, that coach wins all his games, so maybe he demeans and bullies my kid but you know i'm gonna get that three dollar trophy at the end of this thing that's right my kid's gonna be a winner and therefore i'm a winner you know it's this you know i I found the quote the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing Mm. Mm. so true uh edmund burke edmund burke 
I don't know that history degree. Huh? <laughs> no, master's in history. <laughs> Does anybody know who Edmund Burke is? No. I've never heard of the dude. Um, but I have one. I don't know where we are in time, but I have we one question. We are running question. out of okay, time, so my one, sweetie. One of my last questions is another thing that I know you speak about is the whole idea of our children getting scholarships mm-hmm. and how, how likely is it that children end up getting a scholarship and that's what pays for college? Yeah, it's, it's very unlikely. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that your your young athletes can't try their very best and and be the best that they can be but at the same token so many things go into getting that scholarship and their love of their game and their motivation to train hard and then their motivation to go be a college athlete it's really hard i bet i mean people who say oh my kid's gonna play in college I'm like, do you know what that means like <laughs> that means that they get up in college at at 6 a.m. to go to the weight room and then they may not take the classes that they want to take because they interfere with practice and they're on the road and they're doing this. And so, you know, from just the sheer numbers standpoint, you're talking about, you know, a single digit percentage of high school athletes go on to play a college sport. Mm, Interesting. And only a small percentage of those actually get a scholarship. And outside of football and basketball, which are what we call full scholarship sports, mm-hmm. most scholarships are partial. Mm-hmm. And they're usually a combination of academics and athletics and stuff. And so the idea that the sports is an investment in with this financial payoff at the end is not – it's just not realistic. It's not a very good investment. I mean right. go to Vegas. The odds, right. are, the odds are probably better. Well, and yeah, the amount of money that you spend getting your kid to get that scholarship is, you know, I, I remember hearing that at some soccer clinic. Like, you know, the kid might end up getting $2,000 a year, but you spent fifteen grand in the last 10 <laughs> yeah. to get this kid ready for this scholarship. I mean, and I, I hate to say 15 would probably be a very small number. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about, when you add in travel yeah. and hotels totally. and things like this. I was just in um, Washington, D.C. with my brother-in-law and, you know, his son's a great little basketball player, but he's the last kid in his grade to grow. Mm. So he's very small, but his dad's six three. His mom's five ten. The kid's going to be—he's going to be tall, player, eventually, yeah. but he's just not there yet. And so he loves basketball. And his winter one season ended, and winter two is starting now. And he's not going to play because you know he's on his club's B team in Washington D.C. And if he wants to play in the spring, they're going to a tournament in Ohio and in North Carolina and in New Jersey. So they're traveling all over the place. Now, when I look at that and say that kid probably has 100 competitive games that he could play within a one-hour drive of his house. Yeah. Yeah. And yet we've created an environment where if he wants to play, he needs to spend $1,000 in a weekend to go to Ohio. Now, I'm not saying that going to a tournament is a bad thing. It's a great experience. It's fun for the kids. But could he not play eight local games and then go to Ohio at the last weekend of the season as the big hurrah? That to me is a season that keeps kids in sports. We're creating more and more and more barriers for entry and for participation. And and then we're weeding out kids way too young. Mm. Oh, my gosh. That is so true. And. I have more questions, but we need well, to Well, we might have to get John back sometime. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. So we have a list of kind of personal questions, not personal, but different Fun questions. questions. Fun questions. Okay. Um, so we're just going to write all these off. There's six of them. Okay. Sweetie, you start. Who do you most admire? 
<laughs> Sorry, wow. put you on the spot. Holy and cow. you can say more than one person if you like. like just make sure it's really profound. <laughs> just kidding. So just kidding. Wow, I wish I got these ones ahead of time. <laughs> Holy cow. We're putting you on the spot. Um, or someone you, you admire. Know, I, 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 I admire my, my parents both mm-hmm. Ed, because I think they were a great team in raising me and my brother and my sister. Um, they were always honest, um, but they weren't afraid to under, you know, they weren't afraid to understand that. You know, sometimes you just needed a hug and not a mm-hmm. critique. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I loved my parents for that. Very, they set very the much. stage for your career. They, they set the stage, and I always appreciated my dad. If my dad told me I played well, I knew I played well. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of coaches who, you know, you're awesome. He's awesome. Everyone's awesome. Well, you know, what's that? The movie The Incredibles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we make everyone a superhero, then no one's a superhero. Yeah. Right? So if everyone's awesome, no one's awesome. Question number two: What feels like love to you? What feels like love to me? Oh, I don't know, like a twenty-inch brown trout at the end of my fly line, maybe. Nice. <laughs> love it. There love you go. It. No, you know, I, I, um, for me, I love more than anything just spending time with my family, and we do tons of of camping and and hiking and and stuff, and just like you know, sitting on a log at the side of a lake, watching my my kids play and talking with my wife, like that to me is the perfect day in mm. the perfect place. Nice. An yeah. outdoorsman with his family. Yeah. Okay, so this is one that Todd and I debate all the time. Star Wars or Wizard of Oz? Star Wars. There you go. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's not even That's close. an easy one. Yeah. Um, what can you do today that you could not do a year ago? Um, uh, man, well, uh, actually move around a year ago, I had a really bad ski crash and I broke my back. So oh, sitting man. here at the table, I Holy couldn't God. do a year ago. <laughs> Jeez Louise. Yeah. Do you, your do you have, I mean, I know full recovery might sound strong, but do you feel? Yeah, no, I you? feel fine. I'm, I'm good. But it was a, it was a, it was a pretty bad crash in yeah. February of 2014. So yeah, sitting here without a brace on right now, I couldn't do a year. Oh, gratitude, I love sweetie. Gratitude. Yeah. Okay. So what do you know for sure about all people? I know all people have some good in them somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I think we are far sadly far more likely to focus on the things that we're not good at or the people that have hurt us instead of all the people that have helped us mm-hmm. and and the the bits of good in people and so as a coach i always looked for you know what does this player add to the group versus what do they take away and mm-hmm. what i've always been amazed about is when you start focusing on their strengths their weaknesses start to disappear. How about that? I Last and not least, what word brings you peace? Hmm. This may sound silly, but m- like mountains. Mm-hmm. Love the mountains. It's not silly at all. No, <laughs> I get it. I get yeah, it. Yeah, I, you know, I grew up in New York and went to college in New York City and then moved to Vail, Colorado. And I, I had, I went on this, uh, this, I went to a Catholic college and I went on this retreat uh, my senior year. And I had no idea what I was going to do. And on this retreat of, you know, weekend of meditation and prayer and everything, every time I closed my eyes, I just kept seeing snow-covered mountains. Mm-hmm. And so I walked out of there. I'm like, um, where's snow-covered mountains? Colorado sounds good to me. And I moved there. So whenever whenever I feel like the world come collapsing in on me, I just go climb and ski a mountain or, or hike or 
find a river and go fish and just sort of uh, that's my reset button. Nice. Oh, they call to you. That's so beautiful. So um, there's probably some people listening saying this guy's awesome. I want to know more about him. I want to um, find out how to go see him, how to get his book, read his blogs. Here's your chance. Um, my blog is changingthegameproject.com and that's the best place to find me um, get on the email list sign up for my blog um, I do Facebook through Change the Game Project Twitter at Coach Johnny O and then um, as far as the book goes uh, you know both my books you can find them on Amazon you have two books? I, I have a second one called Is It Wise to Specialize and it's just an ebook on early sports specialization nice um, but the main one Change the Game you can find that at Barnes & Noble or Books a Million or any bookstore and then the second book uh, is an ebook and that's just on Amazon or, or my website Nice. And it's changethegame.org, right, John? Uh, changing the changing game. Changing the game. Project. The game. Pro- I'm glad dot, I asked. Dot com. <laughs> Does she never listen? Never, never. <laughs> um, we're going to put all this on our show notes, yeah. too. Okay. And we'll link change back to John's project. website. Okay, good. Go. good. Thanks. Yeah, changethegameproject.com or dot org will get you there, too. Got it. Thank what you, else? John. Anything else? That's it. Thank you guys for having me on. You guys were awesome. Oh, thank you, John. Do you like this baseball? Yeah, I like that song. Yeah. This is like my, this song just reminds me of my childhood. It's like one of my favorite songs. This is, your, this is your coach song. So that was John O'Sullivan. You're awesome. Thank you, buddy. We'll Thank see you, you next time. Thank you, guys.